So we know that not everybody should be doing them because of like a hypertonic pelvic floor, right? Is that what it's called? Yeah. Yeah. That's pretty much the consensus now. We're calling it hypertonic pelvic okay. floor. Yeah. Or overdeveloped or taut, like are those all Tonic, short. As a profession, we're really trying to have one word that everybody uses. And that word now is hypertonic. Yeah. Sounds like a drink. It is. Ooh, a good drink I want to have, yeah. <laughs> okay, so those people should not be doing Kegels, correct? They should not be doing Kegels, at least in the beginning. I can pretty much tell if someone's hypertonic. You can, you can kind of tell just by talking to someone. But some of the things you can ask yourself, you know, do that clench test. That's a really good one to figure it out. If you've ever had a problem with tampons where they keep kind of spitting out when you wear them, uh-huh. that means that tension in your pelvic floors. If you have to sit on the toilet and think about relaxing, or you have a stream that kind of stop and go while you're like, okay, okay, relax, relax, relax. Pain with intercourse can be another one. Or if you're always a tense, go, go, go type A personality, those people tend to be pelvic floor clenchers as well. Welcome to the Badass Reset Club, a special place where if you've lost your way, girl, we're here to help guide you back. Those club doors are opened up wide so we can discuss all things fitness, nutrition, body composition, hormones, menopause, beauty, headspace, and more. Hey there, my name's Heather. I'm a fitness expert, nutrition coach, autoimmune athlete, mom of three pretty cool kids, and married to one handsome firefighter. I started this club because after years of over-exercising, under-fueling, gaining weight, dealing with Hashimoto's disease, and experiencing hormones gone crazy, I knew there had to be a better way. So come on in, badass. Let's hit that reset together. Okay, we're going to get candid here. Do you have a pelvic floor? I bet you do. We all do. Even men. But this podcast is about women's stuff. Today, we're going to be talking to a physical therapist who specializes in the pelvic floor. And did you know there's not that many pelvic floor physical therapists out there? So I'm really excited to bring her in. And wait till you get a load to how I met her. It's kind of crazy. (laughs) So here's the thing. Pelvic floor dysfunction is very common. And it's not all about jumping up and down and wetting your pants. Like there's way more stuff that has to do with your pelvic floor. It's super complicated. So I want you to either pop your headphones in, go for a walk, try not to squeeze and clench too much while you're walking, or make a cup of tea or coffee, have a seat, and let's do some breath work and listen together. Hold on. One, two, Welcome to this episode that I have been waiting for for a long time. This is the Badass Reset Club, and today we have a superstar talking about the pelvic floor. And Carrie's joining us today. This is all about the pelvic floor and life and breaking it down, and she's going to do it with excitement and enthusiasm. She's a pelvic floor superhero swooping in to save the day one exercise at a time. And here's a little spoiler. It's not all about the Kegel. Carrie Sieber is a professional in the field of pelvic floor physical therapy, specializing in providing care for individuals experiencing pelvic floor dysfunction and related conditions. 
With her extensive knowledge, expertise, and compassionate approach, Carrie helps patients improve their quality of life by addressing issues related to pelvic floor dysfunction. As a pelvic floor physical therapist, Carrie works closely with individuals who may be dealing with conditions such as urinary incontinence, pelvic pain, pelvic organ prolapse, sexual dysfunction, menopause, constipation, and yeah, the ever important question on how to do a Kegel correctly. And if you even need a Kegel, and if Kegels are the right exercise for you, she tailors her treatment plans to meet the unique needs of each patient, employing evidence-based techniques and therapeutic exercises that promote healing and functional improvement. She maintains a professional and compassionate demeanor, creating a comfortable and safe environment for her patients. And I know because I was one where they can discuss their concerns openly. She's known for her excellent communication skills, actively listening to her patients' needs and providing them with the information and support necessary to achieve their goals. Her dedication to promoting pelvic floor health and her commitment to ongoing professional development make her a trusted and respected practitioner in the field of pelvic floor physical therapy. She's genuinely caring and guiding and supporting her patients every step of the way. She's the kind of person that makes you feel comfortable talking about these important topics. And if you're seeking expert care and guidance on pelvic floor issues, I know you can trust Carrie to provide you with comprehensive and compassionate support on your journey, but she will also help us later in the podcast to, if you're not local, find a qualified pelvic floor physical therapist in your area. That and more to come. Welcome to the podcast. Oh, thank you so much for having me. I hope you're having a great day. I'm I'm having a super day so far. And everybody out there too. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. for sure. Yeah. I know that um, when I first put out that I was launching a podcast and asked for feedback from my support crew and my my little uh, private area of the world, the one thing that kept popping up was, please have someone to teach us about the pelvic floor. And I was like, oh, I, t- I totally get that. It's really important. So Carrie, I know also that there's um, not a big group of pelvic floor physical therapists out there in the world. So what you're doing is kind of niche, but it's so important. Can you walk us through like how you even went down that path? Like what made you want to go into this field? Oh, sure. No problem. When I first started doing pelvic floor work, I lived in um, the Tampa Bay area and I worked for a woman. Her name was Diane Hartley, and she taught this type of continuing education all over the country. So she was one of those people who can take you under her wing without making you feel like a complete idiot who knows nothing. And so and she was so passionate. It just kind of wore off on me. And I finally kind of found like I found my people. You know, there's there's physical therapists who like to work with athletes. There's physical therapists who work with little kids. But this was just really, really spoke to me. And I just became very passionate about it. It's super different. (laughs) Very different. Yeah, I do. I when I think of um, physical therapy, I do think about like, oh, yeah, you hurt yourself and you need to go. But this is like so necessary for women our age. And I say our age because I know that you and I are the same age. Can we just back up and tell our listeners that you have to tell them? Yes, it's so, <laughs> so interesting. What a coincidence! Yeah, I know. So we are recording this um, in the upper left USA. We are in the uh, Seattle area, 
And I got referred to pelvic floor physical therapy um, for recurring UTIs that were not UTIs. I was experiencing, you know, dysfunction, pelvic floor dysfunction. And I um, was adamant that that's not what it was. I told the doctor many times, no, 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 no. I know this is a bladder infection. And she, you know, just stuck to her guns and sent me to you and super thankful she did. But during one of our visits, um, you and I (laughs) realized that we went to high school together in the Midwest, in Palatine, Illinois. We went to William from high school at the same freaking time. Like that was mind blowing. (laughs) Yeah, that was pretty cool. And I'll also say, and I, we can say this because I know this is a safe place and we just have badass women listening. It was in a compromised position, maybe not for you because this is your job, but for me, I don't every day go see a pelvic floor physical therapist. So during like examination, we realized we went to high school together and that is just like, I will never forget that. I think I've told everyone that story. It's so yeah, hilarious to it's a me. great story. <laughs> yes. Okay. So you went into this and then like, how did you, how did you narrow down and begin your practice? Like, where did that come from after you left Florida? Well, I left Florida and, you know, I came here and I started working in Bellevue and, um, you know, when you're just starting out as a physical therapist, nobody knows who you are. And, you know, you got to gain, especially for like this intimate of a form of physical therapy, you really have to gain the trust of the community around you. And so I just started talking to doctors and other people. And and you know how it is, you just gravitate toward people who um, are into the kind of things you're into. And I found a group of women doctors who were really pro um, pelvic floor physical therapy. And we kind of just grew this practice together. Unfortunately, at some point, we all went our separate ways. But I learned so much from a physician standpoint about the pelvic floor. And they learned so much from a physical therapy standpoint. So it made me realize you really need a village to take care of people with pelvic floor dysfunction. You need a village Ah. of people. Maybe you're dealing with someone who has um, like vaginal dryness. Maybe you're dealing with someone who has constipation. And it just really helps out a physician help you with those types of things. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, like it takes a village for all of our healthcare. So you, you add this. It really does. And I love that it's becoming common speak now that pelvic floor is part of our healthcare. Right. So like, should we just jump right into it about number one, is it Kegels or Kegels? (laughs) It can be either one. It can be either (laughs) one. So, so I'm here to help reveal the secrets of the pelvic floor universe. Right. So I think we should start with what is the pelvic floor, right? Because some people don't even know that It's, it's really surprising what people don't know about their bodies. So the pelvic floor refers to a group of muscles, ligaments, and tissues that form like a supportive hammock-like structure at the base of the pelvis. So think of Halloween, right? You have those hip bones, right? From the skeleton. And then underneath it, you have a bowl of muscles, ligaments, and things like that act as a foundation providing support for your pelvic organs, you know, like your bladder, your uterus, things like that, and rectum. And then they play several important roles in your body. First of all, you know, they're underneath everything. They're supporting those organs. They're holding them in along with ligaments and other things. And then... Of course, continence is a big thing we want to talk about. The pelvic floor muscles help control the opening and closing of the urethra. And the urethra is that tube out of your bladder that you pee out of. And also, um, 
it helps you um, pee, right? When you go to pee or poop, you have to relax these muscles. And so this is important because some people aren't really great at relaxing these muscles. And then, like you said, they do a bunch of Kegels or Kegels, which it can be either one, by the way. And their situation okay, gets worse and they don't know why. And it's because the whole time they should be relaxing those muscles, which we'll talk about later on in the podcast. And also a sexual function. These muscles provide support and stability um, and they help the orgasm as well. And so you're looking for a, okay. so these muscles do a ton of things. And the interesting part about the pelvic floor muscles are you can't see them, right? But when, when they're dysfunctional, they can cause, you know, incontinence, pelvic floor prolapse, and pelvic pain. And so treatment for these disorders is multifunctional. We might include lifestyle changes, pelvic floor exercises, unkegling, medications, and things like that to help people feel better and live their best life. Awesome. So like, I think when, you know, in my business, in my industry, we, about a decade ago, we're telling every woman to be doing Kegels and that probably did a disservice. And I like think back, um, about <laughs> my own personal body and I'm clenching muscles 90% of my day. And I find that like, I, I still have to really, really think about relaxing. So it's if I'm, difficult. if I'm just standing at the kitchen counter, chopping something, I realize I'm like squeezing my glutes. I'm doing like, mm -hmm. I, yeah, I, me too. Me too. I really need to chill. <laughs> so if you have a muscle, you have to think about it. If you have a, so first of all, the pelvic floor loves to go along for the ride, right? You, you put your shoulders up or something and the pelvic floor is like, that's a party I want to go to. And so <laughs> it clenches too. Right. And so two things happen. Number one, you have to relax to pee, right? You have to be kind of like a noodle on the toe to relax the pee. Well, if you're starting from a very high level of tension, it's a much longer path that you have to go through to relax. And sometimes your muscles end up just statically being that way. Uh -huh. So we want to, my patients who are clenchers, I tell them, you know, set your phone to vibrate a few times a day. This is something you could do if you're questioning whether you clench. And then when that phone vibrates, ask yourself to, are you clenching? And then kind of just melt that tension. And then you would know if that is something that you do. It's very, very obvious. Okay. Yeah. I, I, I'm well aware. And I did see a really cool Instagram post recently about if you are someone who is a clencher, try offsetting your stance. Like if you're standing there chopping vegetables for dinner, have one foot in front of the other where you've got kind of a hip idea. out. It's a great idea. Yeah. I've been, I've been instigating that while I've been um, <laughs> catching myself in the act. Okay. So we know that not everybody should be doing them because of um, like a hypertonic pelvic floor, right? Is that what it's called? Yeah. Yeah. That's pretty much the consensus now we're calling it hypertonic pelvic okay. floor. Yeah. Or overdeveloped or taut, like are those Tonic, all short, but okay. as, as a profession, we're really trying to have one word that everybody uses. And that word now is hypertonic. Yeah. Sounds like a drink. It is. Ooh, that was a good drink I want to have. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So those people should not be doing Kegels, correct? They should not be doing Kegels at least in the beginning. And, and okay. there's, there's so much, you know, so I would say like, I can pretty much tell if someone's hypertonic, you can, you can kind of tell just by talking to someone, but some of the things you can ask yourself 
Um, you know, do that clench test. That's a really good one to figure it out. If you've ever had a problem with tampons where they keep kind of spitting out when you wear ah. them, that means that tension in your pelvic floors. If you have to sit on the toilet and think about relaxing or you have a stream that kind of stop and go while you're like, okay, okay, relax, 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 relax. Pain with intercourse can be another one, like minus the vaginal dryness, which I know we're going to talk about later. But things like that, or if you're always a tense go, 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 type A personality. Those people tend to be pelvic floor clenchers as well. So you can ask yourself those type of questions. Yep. Got it. Um, okay. And so then the people that should be doing Kegels? Well, that, that's a little bit complicated of a question because the world of pelvic floor physical therapy is moving a little bit away from Kegels. So the younger therapists are kind of like not doing as many Kegels. I'm not talking about age, like the age of the physical therapist you're seeing. The older physical therapists kind of are. I like straddling kind of in between that line. There's a lot of evidence that doing a Kegel exercise can help with continence for sure and with that with um like pelvic organ prolapse. But okay. you have to bring it into function and you have to bring in what I'm going to call pressure management. And I'll do something in a minute to tell your audience we can all try it together. But so I would say doing Kegel exercise is important, but you have to bring it into function. You can't. And that's why I think a lot of physical therapists have a problem with those. There's all these like machines like the Emcella chair that like people are offering where you can sit down and it shocks your pelvic floor. But, you know, then congratulations. You know how to do a Kegel exercise and standing. What your real goal might be being able to do not leak when you're running. And so you have to bring in rotation. You have to bring in breathing. You have to bring in pressure management. And so the younger therapists are more into pressure management, which means like not living a life or doing an activity where you're bringing the pressure downward into your bladder. So let me show you an example of this. This is my favorite example that I use a lot of times when clients first come in. And this is, this can also help. This is the how to cough and how to sneeze lecture too, without leaking if you're currently leaking. So I want everyone to try to breathe into their chest, you know, so you're breathing, so your chest um, is lifting, your shoulders are lifting, and then cough. And find and feel that pressure going down toward your bladder. So breathe in, shoulders up, breathe out. <clears throat> and you can definitely feel a lot of pressure in your lower abdomen. Now, if you breathe with your belly more, filling that up and then cough, <clears throat> you can feel the pressure stay up in your chest. Right. So you can say to yourself, OK, if I feel a cough coming on or a sneeze, I can breathe into my belly more and you'll keep the pressure up instead of downward. That's a really good example of pressure management. Just trying to keep that pressure and a big, big, big one for pressure management is exhaling. And this okay. theory has been, um, you know, it was first presented maybe 10 years ago by a woman. Her name is Julie Weeb, and she's kind of like the master of the pelvic floor diaphragm piston, which you might or might not have heard of, where your diaphragm goes down as you breathe, you know, because your lungs are filling with air and then your pelvic floor goes down too. So think about that. So you could use that as a pelvic floor relaxation exercise, breathing and trying to relax your pelvic floor and then breathing out, you know, and so trying to keep that pressure up. And so if we have this piston going on, we can use it as pressure management to stop leaks and worsening of prolapsed pelvic floor organs. Interesting. I, I just had a thought. Carrie, is there anything in the industry right now, like thinking about that breathing, that specific breathing, is there anything in the industry that has this kind of breath work with meditation for pelvic floor? Yes, yes. There's a couple of physical therapists who work really strongly in meditation and in yoga. And uh-huh. so you can, I mean, they're on YouTube. You can just put pelvic okay. floor meditation, pelvic floor relaxation meditation. There's some really great ones out there. Damn, I thought I was onto something. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's good stuff. It's good that you're just smart. You're smart. And so, you know, learning to relax your pelvic floor is a completely different physical therapy session than learning how to strengthen your core, your pelvic floor, of and course. working on breath work and pressure management to stop leaking with running. Leaking with running is one of a very common thing I see. And so if you just, let's say you have, you have a group who just does Kegels, right? They just do Kegels. They're trying to stop. It's not enough. With running, there is the whole mechanics of running involved. So mm-hmm. you think about, okay, pressure management. Some people really tend to hold their breath when they run. So I have people start with just trying to breathe a little softer and rotate their torsos a little more when they run. Oh. What also helps with running is, believe it or not, shorter strides because if you have shorter strides you're not having that pressure when you land as much so that can help too and what what else helps with running and so so you can see it just keeps going and going and going is a better push off with your foot and so maybe we're realizing that someone has weak toe extensors so we need to give them an exercise to have a better push off when they run get out of here another thing is um, that also has to deal with maybe you have really tight um hip extensors you know so you can't get that backward motion when you run to get that good push off so now you're working on a couple things right you're working on rotation you're working on getting that good push off you're working on and i I try to have people also pretend that they're running under a low ceiling because what also leads to leaking with running is too much motion up and down or vertical movement So, so there's all these factors that are involved and so when we see people just doing kegels it's absolutely not enough to help with um, exercise, maybe double unders, it's your form, right? It's a lot to do with form and a ton to do with exhaling and breathing. The um, the like motto of the theory is called blow before you go, meaning exhale before you do the activity. Okay, yeah, I like really that. Really good stuff. So, so if you're leaking with running, just try those few things, try those few little things and people just not leaking anymore. It's pretty cool. That is pretty cool. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Again, just running, breathing, Smaller strides and not as much up down motion are huge. And you can practice that running up a hill because that kind of makes you do that, you know, take mm-hmm. smaller strides and things like mm-hmm. that. Yeah, great suggestions. Okay, all the runners in this in this listening audience, God try that. Yeah, I'm gonna try, try that. Stuff, I yeah. actually don't I don't have a problem with incontinence, but it's not to say that that wouldn't ever hit me. So it's something that we should be practicing anyway. It's good running form. Good running form, yeah, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. And also, I mean, everybody has a pelvic floor, right? <laughs> like men have a pelvic floor too. Everybody does. Yeah. Yeah. Tell, so, tell everybody. Yeah. Right. Right. Always things to learn as far as how um, mechanics go. And, you know, even if you're not dealing with a problem now, it doesn't mean that you won't. So do due diligence, right? Right. Right. And I, yeah. It's very important. And when people, um, the fir- another first thing I tell people um, is, you know, we are all ladies, but we don't have to cough demurely, right? So when people cough, they tend to like, women tend to like slouch their shoulders, like, excuse me for sneezing or coughing. That actually leads to more downward pressure. And so we want to have a nice, good posture, breathe into our bellies, and then exhale with that cough and sneeze, or maybe even a nose blow. That way you can actually practice it. Can I breathe into my belly and then blow my nose? Like things like that. And practice it before it becomes an issue. Oh my gosh. That just makes me think of like, even, um, you know, like older women, like if you see them sneeze, they even do a little, like they they try to hold everything in. (laughs) Yes, they really do. They Uh really do. So just little habits you can incorporate into your life or even doing a Kegel every time you go from sit to stand. I don't want people to do these long, complicated exercise programs because quite honestly, they just don't do them. And so I try 
try to give people like two or three things to do during the day that they can just mix up into their everyday life. Yeah. Yeah. Do you think anybody listening doesn't know what a Kegel is? Should we explain? Okay. Yeah, of course. So a Kegel exercise, if you're, so the correct way to do it is a better. So if I'm teaching people to do a Kegel exercise, the first time somebody comes in and yes, I do vaginal exams on almost everybody. Um, of course I ask for permission, of course. And um, so, you know, I'm asking them to just do it. How do you do it? An important thing to note is that 80% of people with pelvic floor dysfunctions do not Kegel correctly. So I want to know how people decide to do it before I tell them how to do it. Okay. So usually there's a couple things that they do right off the bat. Either they hold their breath while they're Kegel. We already talked about how important exhaling is. Or they squeeze the bottom of their bottom cheeks. That's definitely the two things I see people do. So I have them do this. Breathe in. Start to breathe out. And then if you look at the evidence, the correct thing to do is squeeze and lift because you have three layers of pelvic floor muscles. So you want to get those layers closest to your skin, the layer around your urethra, and you want to do the deeper layer. And you really want to make sure you're exhaling the whole time. And I tell people once they get a little better and get the hang of it, I say, if you're doing a Kegel during that exhale, I don't want to know you're doing it. If I close my eyes. I don't want to hear your exhale change because sometimes I hear <gasps> like right when they're doing the Kegel, they stop breathing out. I want a nice, gentle exhale for that whole uh-huh. Kegel. And then um, you're lifting and not squeezing your exhaling. Right. And we already know that 80 percent of people do it wrong. So it's good. If, there's a couple of devices you can buy, like on Amazon and things like that, that will measure your Kegel with a thing called biofeedback. And biofeedback is a device where some um either a sticker or a probe vaginally records the action potential of your pelvic floor and changes it into like a line graph. So it's really helpful to patients because they think they're still squeezing. They're not squeezing. They can see it on the computer screen. It's just like a line graph. You can change it into fun things like um, a blooming flower. They even have, it's showing its age. They also have the space shuttle docking at the international space station, but people love it. And so um, you can tell that you're doing it correctly. And so what what through the evidence they found out that that's not really a natural occurring thing because you want the Kegel to occur automatically, right? You sneeze, you don't want to think about it, you want it to occur. So we try to do it like in various, once you learn how to do it correctly, we want to quickly move into function or jumping or moving your legs and getting that muscle to work in a functional capacity, getting it to work with rotation. And so really getting it to work in all scenarios. Um, And that's really important too, because we don't want to have to think about it. We want the muscle to become more automatic like it was before we started to experience dysfunction. For sure. I, you know, I think about too, um, when you're talking about this is um, when I'm working with people either in person or I'm having them, um, my online clients do something like a squat or a deadlift, teaching them how to properly breathe. It's hard for while people. they're doing it. It's really hard, but I try to, and, and hopefully this is, um, you know, I'm, I'm, doing this correctly. But the way that I learned is that as we're exhaling and we're doing the work, like let's say we're coming up from a deadlift or we're coming up from a squat, as we're exhaling, I have them think about their pelvic floor as an elevator and the elevator is starting to rise up while they're blowing that breath out so that everything's drawing inward towards the midline and up. I love that. Um, Okay, good. I've been doing it right for the last... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and it's really good to do it then because um, think about this. A lot of, you know, we're doing Kegel exercises and sitting. We're doing them all, you know, against gravity. 
And I, I tell patients this, and, and I hope I hope this makes sense. Like when you're walking up the stairs, you're using your quad, right? And your quad's shortening as you walk up the stairs. But then when you walk down the stairs, you're lengthening your quad as it's working. So that squat lifting that you just mentioned is an eccentric contraction, which is mostly how we need our pelvic force to work. And so if you're just doing them concentrically, meaning against gravity the whole time, you're not training it in an eccentric pattern, which is very important with um, exercise. Yeah, and not leaking or not prolapsing and things like that. Right. Good. I love that. That's the, I think I think the little gems so far are really helpful. Um, I wanted to get to a couple other questions that people are chomping at the bit to know. I love that. Go for it. Can we talk about what we should be doing as we age to help help tone our pelvic floor, help keep it in shape? I think um, the best idea is to have your pelvic floor work as part of your core. You know, we talked about naturally and muscles don't work in isolation, really. When you lift a glass from the table, you're not just using your bicep, right? So I think incorporating it into your exercise, if you don't have a dysfunction, is really important. And also learning to relax your pelvic floor. And some of my favorite exercises for relaxing the pelvic floor are things like breathing into the bottom of your ribs. I like to do a cat cow, but at the top of the cat, I'll have people do a couple breaths because that kind of blocks you from breathing into your belly and makes you have to breathe into your lower ribs, which as we know, expands your diaphragm, which then helps to relax your pelvic floor. I like to do things like that for relaxing your pelvic floor. I think I'm going to try that today with my yoga students. It, it feels really good. And you're yeah, like, oh, I, I really feel that breath going into the bottom of my ribs. Sometimes when we have a body that doesn't want to do something, we kind of have to trick it into doing it, right? <laughs> like to kind of make it impossible to do it any other way. So yep. I love that kind of thing. Yeah. Awesome. What about as we're aging, the common complaint, like if we just swing right into menopause, sure. um, the common complaint is, you know, vaginal dryness. Um, I, that may not be, you know, your everyday practice, but I know, you know, it is. And it isn't because if I come, if a patient comes in to see me and they're perimenopausal or in menopause, I will check their vaginal tissue for dryness because, you know, when we hit menopause and our estrogen levels drop, um, the big thing that it does to our pelvic floor is it doesn't have as good of a blood supply. Mm-hmm. When it doesn't have a good blood supply, there's no blood coming in and nutrients and puffiness and happy little fluffy pelvic floor doesn't exist anymore for some people. And so we want to get that estrogen back. And in the early 2000s, um, there were a lot of studies that say, oh, women shouldn't do you know, estrogen at all. It leads to breast cancer. But if you talk to doctors who are m- more updated on the recent evidence, there was a lot of flaws in those studies. And I know, you know, you have to talk to your doctor. I'm not saying everyone should be on estrogen, but I am saying that there were so many flaws with those studies that they're kind of like, if, if you have a doctor who's a little more like up to date with the literature, they're going to be able to tell you that. And there's also doctors now who specialize in menopause. And I think that's really great too. And mm-hmm. if you can get yourself hooked up with someone like that, they can tell you if estrogen's right for you or not, because it's not only vaginal health, it's heart health and bone health, right? Which are yep. equally as important. Yep. But if you're just thinking about topical estrogen, which is what I normally am dealing with, because I'm dealing with the pelvic floor, I will ask the physician if they, and I'll ask the patient first, hey, how do you feel about topical estrogen? And not only does it help with like vaginal dryness, which then helps with painful intercourse, but an 
estrogenated muscle, a more vascular pelvic floor, is also going to help you with incontinence because healthier muscle now. It's got a great blood supply to it. And I myself can't even believe how much healthier um, a pelvic floor can get by just adding these estrogen creams that add more fluffy tissues, more blood really? supply. Even I'm shocked. Even I'm shocked. I, I can feel the difference. It's it's amazing. Now, if you're not into um, vaginal estrogen, it's just not for you, or maybe your medical history precludes you from it, you can do hyaluronic acid, which is a newer thing out there that's been proven to also help with vaginal dryness. And it's a suppository that you put in once a day, and um, it's shown in the evidence to be just as effective as um, topical vaginal estrogen for vaginal dryness, which is very, very new and fun to know. Yeah, I have not heard that before. Use it on my face. Yeah, I know. Weird, huh? <laughs> and so um, I think, you know, even in the world, I, I don't know, Heather, I don't know if I ever told you this, but I had breast cancer when I was in my 30s. And even then, the oncologist was okay with me using. And, and when you have breast cancer, sometimes they throw you into menopause to help kill all the cancer, make yeah. sure it doesn't come back, which is what they did with me. They put me on a shot called Lupron that... Um, stopped me from getting my periods and I had terrible vaginal dryness. And so my oncologist gave me vaginal estrogen, uh-huh. believed it was totally safe. Old school oncologist, you know, very famous in the area. Um, not woo-woo at all, but that really surprised me and it kind of changed my tune toward vaginal um, topical estrogen in general. Wow. Carrie, I didn't know that you went through that. And in your thirties. It was crazy. Yeah. Another com- another podcast, right? Another podcast. Um, <laughs> I'm I'm glad that you are here and you're healthy. Thank you, thank you. Yes. So, like, would my um would my estrogen patch? That's going to be a different thing. Then, that's not going to do anything. It might not be enough. It okay. might not be enough. So, when I see people come in for vaginal dryness, and usually they can be um, painful intercourse people, but they can also be prolapse incontinence patients. Um, I do ask for that prescription and it really does help us just to get those tissues healthy again. Cool. I love it. Yeah. So, so I, I recommend it, but I have the doctor make the ultimate decision. For sure. Yeah. You're the, you're the right hand lady here. Yeah. Yeah. And, and you know, it does help at, at least where I work. Um, we have a medical record where I can just message the doctor. So it makes it really easy. That is helpful. And we all have a, and you're right, it takes a village. And, you know, we are, you know, in Issaquah, where we both work, where I work, you work in the Sammamish, I think, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, it's a small community hospital. But what's great about that is we all have great relationships with each other. It's not like there's hundreds of therapists and hundreds of doctors. We all know each other. We all trust each other. And and it really helps um, with continuity of care. Yeah, I love that, too. And it, you can feel that you can feel that from the patient perspective also. Oh, good. I'm glad. I'm glad yeah. we really want to create that environment. Yeah. Awesome. Okay. So speaking of menopause, hormone changes, yada, yada. What about recurring UTIs? Why is this like becoming more common? I think it's really um, not emptying your bladder all the way. Okay. So, you know, with recurring, people have recurring UTIs or what I call pseudo UTIs, right? Someone who thinks they have a UTI, but they really don't. The first thing we work on is usually they have um, a hypertonic pelvic floor if you're having that feeling. And so we go in there, we feel the muscles, we teach patients how to relax those muscles because we really ultimately want patients to be able to 
feel their muscles relax and to be able to do that on their own. Mm -hmm. But we relax those muscles. We teach them breathing. We go through exercises, a lot of yoga, things like that. But we teach people also to what's called double voice. So you sit down, you relax, and you pee. And then maybe we have we have this I have this handout with about ten things on it. Maybe we have you spread your legs out. Maybe we have you lean over a little, stand up and sit down again. Maybe stretch your legs a little bit and do a double void to get that extra pee out of your bladder. Um, okay. Because what happens with actual UTIs that are recurring is that you're not emptying your bladder all the way, and that pee just stays in your bladder. And I think moms and I hear this all the time and you never hear this about dads which is very interesting that they pee quickly right so they sit in the bathroom oh, I got to get back to my kids right and they squeeze and they squeeze to get all the poop out and pee out really fast but eventually that stops working like you can't force yourself to go to the bathroom you have to sit and relax and it does not take more time I promise you it takes maybe like 10 more seconds to just relax and pee you don't want to teach yourself those bad habits especially with pooping because if you keep straining to poop you are stretching out your colon you are teaching your body to strain and eventually you won't be able to strain enough to to get that poop out and that just leads to bigger and bigger problems i am a huge advocate of controlling constipation from the very beginning because when you don't what happens is your colon fills with poop and if it fills enough um it stops giving you the message that you have to go and that is like a like a horrific sequence of events that can happen. And I'm not talking about being constipated once a month. I'm talking about chronic constipation and chronic straining. And I know some people are like, but I don't want to take a stool softener. I don't want to take any kind of medications, but it's better. You do not want to be a chronic strainer. Take the psyllium husk, um, drink more water, have more fiber in your diet. Definitely don't do it right away and all at once because you will hate me. Um, because if you are not consuming any fiber and then tomorrow you consume the recommended 25 grams, which, by the way, is almost impossible to do, um, you will feel very sick to your stomach. I always recommend people maybe increase by five grams every week and just try to do anything you can to get that constipation under control, because otherwise it's going to get to the point where um, you're not going to be able to poop or it's going to take you 15 minutes to poop. And that is just really life altering. You don't want that to happen. Yep. Yep. And you know, um, with my clients, I, I know that 25 is the recommendation, but I've read lately in new research that if you're menopausal, you really need more like 30 grams. It's a tough thing to get. Even like people are really Absolutely. shocked when I say, you know, a Metamucil cookie only has three grams of fiber or serving a Metamucil only has, doesn't have a lot. You This is a hard thing to do. It might it be is. an idea for your um, listeners to just have a day where you're not trying to be good and see what your fiber consumption is. Mm -hmm. It's pretty low. American diets are pretty low in fiber content. They in sure are. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And, and, you know, like you think about 25 grams, oh, that's easy. And it's really not. I it think is not pair, easy at all. A pear has four, like our heavily loaded fiber foods, um, like avocado is um, it's up there and oats and, you know, popcorn is good. Um, Beans. Yeah. Yeah. But they're still Berries. not that much. And mm -hmm. so, you have to, you do have to work. You have to work on it. Yeah. And, and please, like I said, don't do that all at once. Just do it gradually and, <laughs> and give you water. Do you do your good water too? Do your good water too. Yeah. So, yeah. And just don't let yourself be chronically constipated. Cause I've seen people like around our age who just like, can't, it sounds crazy, but they can't get the, they strain, strain, strain. They just can't get that poop out anymore, even with straining. And it's, it's, it's horrible. It's horrible. It sounds terrible. Yeah. Yeah. Ooh. Okay. 
Um, I have another question. What can you tell us about fixing diastasis recti? Well, this is where the, the whole world has been flipped over and then flipped over again and then flipped Ooh. over again. <laughs> so they used to say with that. So for those who don't know, diastasis recti usually happens um, due to pregnancy. You have two muscles um, down the side of your belly button. They're called the rectus abdominis. And down the middle of them, connecting them, is a tendon called the linea alba. It's very stretchy. So sometimes, and there's nobody who gets this and who doesn't get it. There's no research of you did something to make yourself get this. Short torsos, long torsos, you know, fat, skinny. It's, it's, it's an all-inclusive person type dysfunction. Problem. So they start to separate while you're pregnant. And then, the, then you know, you notice this mostly because there's like a little, a little tent or a little bulge or a little doming in between those muscles. And so as physical therapists, when I was a younger physical therapist, even, even when I was in like my 20s, 30s, they said, you know, no push-ups. I'm mean, not push-ups, no sit-ups, no crunches. That's mm-hmm. really bad for it. And then this therapist from Vancouver named Diane Lee, she said, you know, crunches are actually good for diastasis. And we were all like mind blown, right? And so now what we do is a combination of, um, you know, a, a core exercise where you're not just using your transverse abdominis, but your whole core. You're trying to pull those together while you're doing a little bit of a crunch or bringing your ribs down. You do not want those ribs to flare while you're doing Mm -hmm. a crunch or something like that. And you don't want those ribs to flare while you're doing a core contraction. But then like two months ago, this um, same woman, guru extraordinaire, Diane Lee came out and said, you know, we really want you to work these muscles in sitting. And we were all like, really, Diane? (laughs) What are you going to tell us next? Do them on our head? You know, and so (laughs) <laughs> but she's, you know, world. So, so, you know, doing them and sitting, doing your core and then starting by just like doing a posterior pelvic tilt with it and then going back further and adding rotations to it and do this two to three times a week, sub maximal two fatigue. And this was, again, new information for us all. So, huh. and she will tell you straight up and now I believe it that you, you can't achieve a completely, you can't achieve total symmetry with those um, rectus abdominis muscles. That's just not achievable. But what you want to create is in between them, if you have an in-between space, mm-hmm. tension for function and for stability. And so a lot of people, you know, when they come in, you can put your hand in between those rectus abdominis mm-hmm. actually touch their guts, right? Mm-hmm. And so now what we want to create is a wall there so that you can't do that. And okay. so that's what we've been doing in physical therapy, the latest and greatest with diastasis. So we'll do things like, you know, if you want to pull your ribs down, a good exercise would be core standing with a lap pull, right? Because then you're kind of bringing your ribs down with that and finding out creative ways to bring your ribs down. If you're on your back, you can have your hands up and kind of bring your hands toward the ceiling. Things like that can be really helpful or just creative ways to bring those ribs down when you do that exercise. Now, if your diastasis is really wide um, and you're unhappy with it, the good news is the surgeries have also come along. If you feel like you have a hernia or something, because hernias can come out in between. Mm-hmm those um rectus abdominis muscles and now you know they used to just put a piece of mesh there and say be on your way right oh i had that done they, they really sew those muscles together really well and then they'll send them to pt again and they put a piece of i know this sounds scary but mesh we could talk about that for hours on end they put a piece of mesh under it and then it's a really strong stable but it doesn't get rid of fat like the doctor will tell you that the minute you go in it's not a tummy tuck it's a muscle functional surgery and so Mm -hmm. we have 
couple of surgeons at Swedish who do it this new way. I'm sure there's lots of surgeons in the community who do it as well. But in addition, now they're sending them just for like one or two visits afterward to learn how to strengthen their core correctly and not, you know, blow their tummies out by like holding their breath and things like that. But yeah, yeah. there's been a lot of research on diastasis, a lot of really good research. And I think that from what I understand, like, you know, if you have it from babies 20 years ago, it's not a life sentence. Like you can fix it at at any time. We can. And I I had someone who came in to see me who had um, multiple babies. You know, we got it to be together. We got it really good. But then when she relaxed, it opened up again. So she's someone who ended up really grasping and really it is about like someone coaching you. Through, you know this. It's about someone coaching you through exercising and doing it correctly. Mm-hmm. Um, but sometimes people, it's just not enough. It's just not enough. And so okay. they can choose to go the surgery on if they'd like. And, and just and I would say this to you, too, because the surgeons who do this say this to me all the time. Just because you go for a consult doesn't mean you actually have to have the surgery. Right. Just um, information is powerful. So yes. find out all you can and make the right choice for you. I agree. I have one last question burning question. Oh, I love burning question. Like literally burning question. Um, can, can we do anything to prevent hemorrhoids? I think the number one thing you can do to prevent hemorrhoids is avoiding constipation. So it's kind of like answering it back toward what we talked about before and learning to, um, not strain when, and I think, I think hemorrhoids are somewhat genetic too. I would say, but, but, you know, not straining is the key in my world to um, reducing hemorrhoids and things like that. Okay. And sometimes, you know, we can do that just by learning, you know, that squatty potty, everyone laughed about, you know, that squatty potty commercial with the pooping unicorn, but even like having a little, you don't have to buy a squatty potty. You can just flip an Amazon box upside down, right? Or down outside. <laughs> having your knees higher than your hips uh-huh. um, really does help to unlasso that colon and get it to relax so you can poop a little bit better. Yeah. And so I really believe that that is something that um that, that that's gimmicky and haha, but really helpful. You know, what a plug for Amazon. There you go. There I was thinking go. of a stack of books, like you yeah. know, dual purpose. You can read. Yeah, and... that can work too. And then, like I said, you know, knowing that Kegels aren't for you, so maybe your rectal pelvic floor is hypertonic, right? So maybe you need to learn to do some relaxation exercises for that. Every once in a while, I'll get somebody who's not constipated, but their muscles are super clenched rectally, and it's not that they're constipated; it's that they can't relax their rectal muscles to release the poop. So oh. you might want to and think then... about that too. Like on that note, and this is, this is getting pretty graphic, but, um, we don't care. Um, (laughs) is it possible to have the opposite of like too loose of a rectum of rectal muscles? Not usually. Usually when people are having fecal incontinence, like Uh incontinence, it usually has to do with um, a few things. Number one, they're constipated, right? They got a big ball of poop in their rectum or their colon. And then there's little bits seeping around it. Okay. Sometimes if you're having poop leak, and I'm glad you mentioned this because this is this is this is something I'm I would be upset that I didn't tell you. Um, sometimes <laughs> with someone they can have a prolapsed rectum, and so you know their rectum is held up in their abdominal cavity with ligaments, and sometimes it can fall a little and lead to what's called a rectocele. And this sounds gross and yuck, but what happens is the rectum falls a little bit into the vagina. And so if you're pooping, some poop gets stuck there. And then so you poop and a little bit of poop gets stuck there. And then as you're walking around, it empties out. So if you're someone who has a little like poop ball of leakage, a little bit after you poop, you could have a rectocele and that poop could be coming out. So we teach them to, and again, 
we can be real here, right? Uh-huh. She puts her finger in the rectum and empty that poop um, pocket okay. after they poop, and then they don't have that leakage anymore. So that's two reasons. And then number three, it can just be the consistency of their poop is really loose, and we need to get a little more fiber in their diet so that it's easier to hold. Okay. Yeah. And um, I think I would be remiss, and I'm, and this is just you're bringing up things, not to mention that there's also an incontinence called urge urinary incontinence. And people think, oh, I'm just going to kegel my way out of that. But it is absolutely not true. So urge urinary incontinence is when you think about going to the bathroom, you get that first baby urge, and all of a sudden it's massively urgent and you're like wet in your pants running to the bathroom. And you think to yourself, it's funny. It always happens when I push the garage door opener. Like it has nothing to do with how far you are away from home, right? It has to do, oh my God, that magical garage door opener, right? <laughs> and so what we teach people to do, and I'm going to kind of give a little bit of background on this, is your bladder is, and this is also, um, you know, you hear all those medications, got to go, got to go, got to go on right now on radio or um, mm-hmm. on television, I guess. This is your bladder spasming, right? It's nothing to do with your pelvic floor. Not really. Although tight pelvic floor can lead to frequency urgency. This is mostly your bladder spasming and your bladder is a muscle, but it's a smooth muscle, right? Mm-hmm. So I come back to, okay, yogis can slow their heart rate down by deep breathing. So can you believe it comes down to breathing again? It's kind of cool, right? So wow. you, the minute you feel that urge, even before you stand up, you have to get control of that bladder spasm. And you can do that with deep breathing, right? Because that's how you get your heart rate to slow down. I'm, and I actually tell people, you're the bladder boss. And you're going to go inside, inside, not so people think you're a crazy person, right? I'm the bladder boss. I'm the bladder boss. And I have people start by going just 20% slower. 100% slower never works. They curse me out as they wet their pants, as they're walking to the bathroom, right? But 20% (laughs) slower is dreamy because then you can control that bladder spasm and walk slowly to the bathroom. Don't unbuckle your pants until you're, you know, in front of the toilet. And just every time you go a little slower and almost every time I teach this, people cannot believe how powerful it is. Carrie, oh my God, why did I not think about this? I cannot believe that worked. You and when I tell people, hey, you're wetting your pants walking to the bathroom, I have an idea. Go slower. You know, they think I'm a crazy person, but it actually <laughs> works. It actually really works. And so this is why, you know, there, there's a difference, right? This is the urge urinary incontinence group. They need more relaxation. They need to relax that bladder muscle. And so sometimes they do have tight pelvic force too, but this bossy bladder thing is crazy good it's been written in the literature so many times as one of the most effective you know behavioral modification ways to help and you could also use this with fecal incontinence too like if you're driving to work and you had your coffee in the morning you're like oh my god i feel like i gotta poop i feel like i gotta poop try deep breathing it really does work and you'll make it to the bathroom on time which is really important especially i'm gonna become the new boss (laughs) that's so great Epic advice, Carrie. Is there anything else that like you would be mad if you didn't share? We're trying to think. I think just for um, you know, a little a little tidbit on prolapse would be, you know, prolapses happens because those ligaments um that hold up your bladder, your uterus and or your rectum are overstretched so there's nothing you can do about that but what we want to do is get the pelvic force stronger right mm-hmm. get that pressure management on board and then do it with a functional activity i, I guess um you know and for pressure management and prolapse it's really important because you don't want that downward pressure 
bringing that organ even further down. And so if we can teach people good pressure management, good core, good pelvic floor, it is an overall, like you're in the right biz because it is an overall exercise program. It's not just Kegels and done. It's, it's yep. a lot more involved. And if we can teach people to do things right the first time, then they will do it correctly when you advance their program. Yeah. And my goal is that like, it's kind of like brushing your teeth or breathing. Like it just becomes what you do learning how to properly breathe while you're moving. Right, right, right. And not holding your breath, right? Yeah. <laughs> Which is what a lot of people do. Yes, and it's really do. hard because we're still doing masks at Swedish. And so I always be like, are you holding your breath? Because I can't tell anymore. I can't tell. Oh, bummer. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'll be like, pull it down a little. Let me see what's going on there. <laughs> this has been so helpful. And I know that I everyone's going to have to rewind and listen again. And if you're squeamish, get over it. You know, this is, this is your body and these are things that you need to know. And, um, I, I thank you for your time and for your expertise. And, um, if people are local, please look up Carrie at Issaquah Swedish, but if they're not local, where do you recommend that they go find someone trustworthy? I would say, you know, there's a list on a um, couple sites. There's a list called Pelvic Guru, mm. P-E-L-V-I-C, and then a separate word, G-U-R-U. And that's okay. a good place. And then the other good place is um, our registry of um, Herman and Wallace. We take a lot of our classes to them. That's W-A-L-L-A-C-E. That's okay. a good place to find somebody, too. I mean, we are all super nerds. We have a journal club. I mean, we are like, this is the place to be, right? If you want to um, public for physical therapy. I mean, yeah. We, yeah. Our, our, our hashtag is it's not normal to leak. You know, we think women still think it's normal to leak with exercise, especially if they've had a baby or they're in menopause, but it's just not normal. Common, but not normal. And so we are just trying to save the world. Like I said, one public four at a time. I love it. I love it. Well, your cape is beautiful. And thank you for sharing everything. Oh, thank you for being such a lovely um, host. My fellow Viking. Yay! <laughs> All right. Thanks so much for joining everybody. And I will in the show notes include where you can find Carrie, where you can find other information on pelvic floor physical therapists. And, um, you know, go, go do some breath work, everybody. <laughs> yeah, go do some breath work if nothing else. Yeah. Thanks so much for your time, Carrie. <laughs> yeah, thank you so much. Take care. Bye. You too. Bye-bye. Well, there you have it. One step closer to feeling strong, confident, and inspired to take care of you again. And you know what's even more badass? Sharing this with a gal pal that might need a little fist pump in her life. If you got some inspo from this episode, I'd be honored if you took a screenshot for your social and tagged me at Coach Heather Yancey so I can send you a personal thank you. And please know that if you could take a minute to rate and review the show, it helps get this podcast to more people. And that's super badass. And finally, if you haven't joined the Badass Reset Club on Facebook, what are you waiting for? I'll see you over there and go get them. <laughs>